Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about home prices, home builders, single-family home rentals, and more. First, here's a word from our sponsor. From first-time and non-traditional home buyers to those needing a jumbo loan for a second home, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers since 2015. Finance of America Mortgage is licensed to lend in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, and backed by best-in-class lending technology with a wide range of innovative and proprietary mortgage products. They're prepared to help borrowers find loans that meet their needs. Want to join an award-winning team and elevate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housing wire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID number 1071. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. Welcome back to the podcast, James. Thanks for having me. Always great to have you on. Um, We normally talk later in the week, but we have plenty to talk about today, including um, what's going on with home prices. Can you uh, walk us through what uh, the case Schiller said today? Yeah, so we we have um, two really important indexes that came out there. Of course, pretty much they're all lagging, right? The K Shiller index being the laggiest of the the lagsters of the uh, the housing price world. Uh, but yeah, so so this is the July figures for the K Shiller index, and and basically, you know, home prices in July were still up about fifteen percent year over year. The good news is, depending on the way you see it. Um, that is down sequentially. So that is down from the month prior. Um, and, and I do think it's worth noting that the Case-Shiller Index is a pretty imperfect measurement, um, but a very interesting one. You know, they, they look at some of the top metro markets in the country, and the way they do it is they basically weigh the averages of, you know, the three months leading up to, you know, let's say July, right? So what we're going to see in there because of the way, you know, real estate works, it, it doesn't take 15 days to close, 30 days to close in most cases. Um, so, so you're going to see contracts in there from say March, and that's when you know you start to really look at the numbers and say, okay, is what we saw in March you know the same as what we saw in say May or June? No, of course not. You know, huge difference in in just you know what what buyers could afford and and what they could get out of sellers. And so you know the market is not the same uh, from from March, but it's pretty clear now that home price deceleration has started and this is only going to continue because the next few updates from the case index are going to show bigger declines in home prices in a lot of these metro areas. So that's one positive. We also had new home sales come out and you know I'm sure Logan will, will be happy to talk all about new home inventory. That is not my beat, of course. Um, but what's interesting is that they were up about 25% over the prior month in July. Um, and so you might be sitting there at home thinking, oh, that's great. You know, they, they figured it out. Maybe maybe we're going to you know, enter a new era for home building. We are not. Um, the home builders will still say things are bad. They're ugly. We are not happy about it. You know, the supply chains are still all messed up. Interest rates in September are sixes, sevens, right? Um, and so this is a very temporary reprieve. And it doesn't tell the full story, which is, 
if you were a home builder, especially a big national home builder, and you wanted to sell a lot of product, um, especially in certain hot markets that they've been really developing uh, quite a bit over the last few years, you had to make concessions. You had to drop prices. You had to give buyers something you didn't have to give them a year ago. And um, and that that's really interesting. You know, the, the the margins are still pretty good, you know, but I, I don't think that we're going to see the era of, you know, 25, 26, 27% gain on sale margins for these big national home builders like we did, you know, during the pandemic, supply chain issue or not. And so the good thing is a lot of them have, have socked away money and they've been buying back their stocks, right? And so the people who run these home builders, they are, you know, they want to build homes. That is their model. They are not building because they believe in the virtue of building homes. You know, they will do so when it makes sense financially. And so permits down, you know, we, we are not going to see completions at the rate people would like to see. So it's still mostly bad news, I would say. I, I wish I wish I could be the bearer of good news on the home building front, but I'm afraid it's despite an uptick from month to month. Um, still bad news bears. You know, it is. I, I wish, you know, when you were like, oh, that 25% increase in home build, you know, in new home sales. And it's like, yay. And then you just realize that's when we had that dip in, you know, in mortgage rates. And yep. yeah, people were smart to jump on it to your point, but absolutely we can't really, we can't count on that. I wish, right? We wish that there was this sort of magic bullet that the that the home builders represented, but they don't. And as they look at it, and after being in that very, aggressive uh fed meeting last you know last week listening to that i I don't know how anybody thinks that we are not headed for a pretty pretty rough winter right on on what's happening and if you're a home builder you're like there's still so much under construction and hasn't even started you wonder are they going to start some of that are they going to put it on hold you know logan would make the point that they're going to slow walk it as much as possible either get it out push it out now as fast as you can or, or or slow walk it because you know it doesn't look great yeah, and the people that track this, like uh, for those who are in the know, you know John Burns uh, Real Estate Consulting, they they really very very closely monitor this sort of thing. Uh, Zonda, they also do a really good job of of kind of looking at these markets, and and you can look at other indicators to to kind of get a sense of of what's to come. And they're not buying land like they used to. You know, we're seeing a huge uptick in cancellations, right? And so that five hundred thousand dollar home that they had. Or, or higher in, in a lot of markets um, that they had basically budgeted for is sold out the door, you know, all that demand and, and um, it's, it's gone. It is totally gone, especially in the Sun Belt, where we're seeing the biggest um, you know, change in, in terms of buyer demand or maybe not demand, but, but, you know, affordability <laughs> eroding in, in real time. Um, and that's, that's been their sweet spot, you know, especially kind of the more desert areas and sand areas and, you know, the, the whole Arizona, Colorado, Florida, that, that whole stretch has been really hit very hard by affordability. And, and you know, on a $400,000 mortgage, you're paying $1,000 or more, more than you used to. Um, you know, it's, it's just, there are only so many people who can, you know, take that hit. And so if you used to be looking at a $600,000 home, given just what they cost now, you know, home sales, despite being lower, doesn't necessarily um, mean that home prices are going to drop as rapidly, right? Like it takes time for sellers to to figure out what that new marketplace looks like. And they're often reticent to, to cut prices significantly to, to make sure it sells. Um, they're not just going to, to, to make that work right now. 
And so, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of these home builders are in a bit of a bind. Some of the smaller ones can probably work it out if they're working with individual buyers, more custom finishes, more you know DIY type kind of home building projects. Um, it's just a very different model. But but yeah, the good days of home building um, for now seem to be over. I thought it was really interesting um, when you looked at the two two surveys you've already talked about. So the first one, the case Schiller, you had three areas that outperformed in July that continued to outperform because so we've seen Tampa, Miami, and Dallas with, you know, the home price growth that they saw. And this is again July, which seems like forever ago. Um over 30% in Tampa and Miami, 24% for Dallas, which is crazy. But then when you look at the story that you just referenced, when you look at the data from Redfin about cancellations, guess what pops up in there? Tampa's up there. It's uh, above 20% of the homes for sale got, you know, had had uh, contracts canceled. And Fort Worth, which is right next to Dallas, uh, was also over 20%. So I do think it's interesting and and trying to figure out if you're in those markets where it's really heading. I think things changed on a dime, even you know when you have the Fed coming out with those really aggressive um, rate hikes and and the aggressive talk, which we saw back in May, June, July. Same thing happened. Then we had a little bit of a respite. Yay, things go up, and then you know we're back down to it. So I, I think that's one reason. If you look at like KB Homes, for instance, um, they're they're they announced uh, I think last week three single family community openings, but they're built to rent, right? So they're building, they're just not building, you know, it's, it's single family, but it's single family for renters. And, and I believe that that is in California, Seattle and Florida. So, you know, they're, they're going where the market is and understandably. Yeah. And, and new orders have been falling for the biggest home builders and, and Lenar in the third quarter felt like 12 or 13%, you know, they're now around like 14,000 homes, ordered uh, last quarter and, and KB Homes, I believe they fell down a, something like 50%. You know, it was a really, really big number. Uh, and and so, you know, I, I think they're going to have to look at just much bigger concessions if they want to get these deals done because the interest rates do appear to be pretty sticky for the moment, you know, and the MBS markets are still going haywire. Like it's, it's, um, it's not going to relent anytime soon. And these are smart people who run these companies. They know that, you know, and they're used to cyclicality, but um, I mean, very few people want to buy at 7%. That's just the reality of things, new home or not. Well, and I think also, I mean, we have to look at the overall psychological profile of the home buyer right now. I mean, there's not a lot of great news out there, whether you're, you know, your 401k is down. That's assuming you have a 401k. Everywhere you look, it's like- Your stocks are st- down. Yeah, absolutely. Stocks are stocks are crazy. So you're looking, if, if you have any of that, you know, you feel like poorer than you were. Um so I, I do think that there's a shift coming. And I, I when I look at those build to rent communities, I think it's so smart because people, you know, one of the drivers for buying a home is kids. But if you have a build to rent communities, you can get some of the amenities that you're looking for that maybe are, are harder with multifamily. You might have a yard, you have, you know, more space. Um, potentially those are in areas where maybe the schools are better. I don't know. I don't know the specifics of those, but I, I do think that that's a great option and that's an option people should have, right? I mean, if, if they're not going to be able to buy a house, um, you know, many people enjoy city living. You're one of them um, and, and living in close other people don't. So uh, I think it's a, I think it's smart. And it also, you have to assume that if you're a home buyer right now, you might feel like I am buying at the worst time ever. I don't think that's true, but it's true in the context of the last couple of years. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, as is always the adage in real estate, cash rules. And so if you have cash, you are, you're almost definitely not buying right now because the if, if you look at your local market, you could probably wait a few months, maybe a little bit longer and, and really see if there's any distress or some sellers who have just been too stubborn to, to recognize that the market had turned and they're not going to get, you know, what they, they saw their neighbor get in 2021. Right. Um, so that's, that's going to, um, probably going to spur some deals. There are always entrepreneurial people in, in markets like that. Um, but for those who cannot come up with cash and they need to finance, I mean, Look, yeah, it's bad at 7%, maybe 6% if you can buy down some points, maybe 5% if you want to get, you know, an adjustable rate mortgage. Um, but you could also make a pretty good bet that within five years, you can refinance. And so if you can carry those costs in the beginning, you know, you'll still probably have some home appreciation. You'll still have probably a pretty good amount of equity at this point. Um, and, and you have to think that even if, we never see rates again in the twos or threes. Does four percent sound crazy? I don't think so. You know, I think that's very realistic. You know, maybe not in twenty twenty three. I think that's maybe a little hopeful, but maybe the next year, right? Maybe in twenty twenty five. Like, you know, these things aren't static. But there are so many really interesting affordability challenges here because you know the the main um, tension is between. You know, markets in which there's just a lot of stock that is right now overvalued compared to the existing house buying power that a buyer has right now. And, and a lot of those markets are in California, you know, and, and so uh, First American, the title insurance company has a really interesting analysis out uh, this morning where, where they're looking at the 15 markets that they consider most overvalued in July, meaning uh, so the, the median existing home sales price exceeded the house buying power of, of kind of the average buyer in that marketplace. And so a year ago, only four of those markets were considered overvalued. Um, and these are markets like, okay, San Jose, San Francisco, kind of the Silicon Valley belt, looking at LA, which has been arguably one of the least affordable markets in the country, if not the least affordable in, in the last few years. You have San Diego, similar story there, right? Seattle. Similar story there, <laughs> Austin. You know, stop me anytime now, right? It's the same story, time and time again. And so it's it's a lot of these markets where just, I think a lot of the buyers do have so much equity that they're probably just not going to sell unless they get their number. And in many of these markets, they have huge challenges building new housing too. So, w- what does this mean for the near term, the medium term? I don't know, but. Um, there is going to be a point in which, you know, something has to change measurably in those markets. It has to be a huge challenge if you're a real estate agent in those markets where you know, you know, the sellers have this expectation in San Jose or, you know, one of those areas in which home prices have just been, I mean, stratospheric, right? Like so incredibly high and getting higher every month every year for so long. And now that dynamic doesn't really work for buyers. You know, tech isn't where it was a year ago, two years ago. Um, and they don't build new houses there. Right. So how do you sell a house in, in San Jose right now? 
I, I'm really interested in these markets. So uh, for one thing, my husband is a recruiter for tech companies, uh, different ones. And um, San Jose is is absolutely still the, the center of the universe, except, right, the remote work is real. And we're seeing um, more more companies really coming to that. Plus, you, you see all those people who had a lot of their um, net worth in, in tech stocks uh, they might feel very differently right now. I mean, they might feel like there's just no way you can get me there, right? And so I, I think long term, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in those markets. You and I were just talking uh, before the podcast about a Bloomberg story about some of the remote work and and how that drove a lot of the you know home price growth and and the migration that we saw in the pandemic, um, you know and. It, it's affecting those areas, people from those areas who had a great salary moving to other areas and, and really like pricing out locals, you know, you know, changing the whole market. We think about Boise, we think about other places much, much farther afield than Boise that, you know, it's really changed the whole, the whole map. Yeah. And a lot of those markets that I, I talked about from the first American survey, you know, the, the LA, San Diego, Seattle, Austin, what do they have in common? They, they, I had a lot of people from Silicon Valley, um, you know, move there, and then that's going to push everything up too, right? Because their their purchasing power was um, much higher. Uh, and and yeah, this uh, this study that you mentioned, Sarah, is is really interesting. It's from the San Francisco Fed, and what they found is that remote work drove over sixty percent of the the surge in home prices during the pandemic. And um, and, and to look a little further into the future, you know, the the claim from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco is that it's going to continue to drive up costs and inflation. And that's a pretty tough scenario for people in the industry. You know, forget buyers and sellers for a minute. Um, California is the biggest marketplace by far in the US. You know, I, I know of lenders that basically do half their business in California, and, and it's, it's the the centerpiece of their operations. It is everything for them. Uh, you win and lose in California, right? And so, um, if if work from home really does change the dynamic and, and throws everything, um, you know, if this is a permanent trend, I think that's going to make for some really really interesting discussions on 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 what the California mortgage marketplace looks like over the next five to ten years too. I think that, you know, that could be a good thing. <laughs> We've all wondered, you know, how how can California possibly sustain, you know, but but yet it does, decade after decade after decade. I mean, this isn't a, a short-term phenomenon. So it'd be interesting to see what that does. You know, one of the things that um, I follow is uh, I, I'm a big um, parking nerd in the sense of like uh, building regulations, parking, city, you know, walkability, all that kind of stuff. And so California just passed uh, an ordinance that, that, now they don't tie the multifamily, you know, the units to parking spaces. Huge news, huge yep. news for developers um, because, you know, one of, one of the problems with housing in California is you just don't have enough, you know, they've made it so hard to build there that you don't have those, you know, smaller infill projects. You don't have large scale. I mean, it, they make it difficult. Well, that's one thing down. And I think that's going to be huge. And, you know, we're going to look back at that and be like, that was the beginning of, you know, some developers saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and take the hit. I, I know developers in, in California, there are people who have done it successfully for decades, family businesses are doing it, but wow, they make it hard. Right. And so, you know, at least, at least from the multifamily side, you feel like that's going to, that's going to help people. 
yeah, I mean, it has to. <laughs> you you just you need a lot more housing in California, especially. It's so hard to build anything there, um, you know. And and they've had kind of transit focused development initiatives. They've had all kinds of you know um, laws that that have been passed, but but yet. There's just not enough happening there. You know, there, there are like odd little cities across the U.S. that that build more housing than you know major cities in California, and um, it's still the average cost of a house there is still like what around a million dollars. I mean, wages have not kept up with that, and so for the average person, it pushes them into the rental market. And rents, you know, you, you look at the rents in, in San Francisco, and you'd cry. You, you know, it's it's um it's it's a really tough scenario, and so. Yeah, you, you just you hope that they can just build some more housing for the love of God. You know, and housing is just this brings up housing is tied to so many other things. Housing is tied to transit. Housing is tied to education. Housing is tied to so many other things that it's not just the house. You know, I write uh, the appraisal newsletter, and I've been going to appraisal conferences, talk to appraisers, and determining value uh, when all of these other things also affect. It's not just a dwelling of a certain size in a certain place, right? Like, oh, it's you know, the lot size is this big, the house is this big. It's it's within its surroundings. It's within a neighborhood and a community, and those things are are just hard to do, um, hard to figure out what the appraisal value is sometimes. But also when you want to make a big change in housing, you have to sort of step back. It's not just the dwelling, right? It's it's everything surrounding it. And and that parking issue to me and the transit issue is so big. So you live in New York City. You live in Manhattan. New York City. <laughs> and you you know, so I, you know, meanwhile I've spent almost my entire life, except for some vacations in very car-centric suburbs. And the difference is striking. You know, I can afford the car-centric suburb, even when you add on the car, the cost of the car and all that, versus the transit-centered city, you know, the, the, the smaller, um, what I could afford there, especially because we had four kids. So uh, it, it's just so interesting to me. And, and the way that we're going to tackle some of these issues, I feel like people, because we see a mortgage rate lockdown, because we're seeing so much of housing kind of stuck, I wonder is is this the catalyst? Our current situation and for the next couple of years is this catalyst for some of the larger changes that might be helpful? Yeah, I really hope so. I live in New York, as you mentioned, and one of the major problems here is is beyond not enough housing. Uh, rent prices are outrageous here, and it's a supply and demand issue. You know, we we have. Rent control, we have rent stabilization here, and that takes about half the units off the free market. And so the landlords, their costs go up every year. Um, maintenance is expensive. You know, the bureaucracy, the cost of permitting in New York is phenomenal. And they don't have a lot of incentives to um, to build more housing unless the government provides subsidies or, you know, they, they're able to, to make you know, typically the margins are about 10 to 20%, you know, on multifamily development. And they fight tooth and nail to get any kind of construction done here. And the politicians often vote it down, you know, and they want perfection. Um, and, and from my perspective, they often let, you know, perfect be the enemy of good. And so we don't have a lot of housing here. And so, you know, I have, I have a family myself and, and we, we have to think about, okay, you know, is the city 
is the infrastructure strong enough to support the kind of lifestyle that we want? You know, I, I want to take my, my kid to daycare every morning and I, I can't even take a stroller on a bus, you know, so there's stuff like that. I, I would take the subway, but none of the stations are accessible and it's dangerous for me to, you know, put a nine month old in, in a stroller and haul him down the stairs, you know? And so um, it's just, a lot of government isn't really functioning very well and it hasn't for quite some time. And um, if you don't allow developers to build, housing costs are going to affect the ability for people to stay or they decide they don't want to stay. You know, and a lot of the trends, the migration trends from the pandemic are are a direct correlation of people who probably would have left in three, four or five years anyway. But they said, you know what, <laughs> I'm just going to do it now. This just isn't worth it. You know, sitting in this tiny apartment all day, um, you know, wait, waiting for uh, waiting for something to change. Um, it's just, it's not sustainable and, and they need to do a better job. The politicians have to do better in, in allowing multifamily development. It's going to be fascinating to look at, especially because we have that millennial wave coming. You know, that uh, last week, I think I mentioned the fact that um, I was at a, at a mortgage bankers conference. It was for the New England, New England mortgage bankers. And they had a, a chart of the millennials, which you know, I've seen a lot, but this broke it down. And like, we have three, four more years of peak home buying age for millennials coming. And then I go, okay, well, if they, if they're shut out now because of, you know, the interest rates, because of home prices, just the affordability thing that, that demand doesn't go away. There's, there's going to be pent up demand, at least as far as I can see for the next couple of years. And so when, for instance, when rates do start falling, when we do see some of that, I wonder how much home prices still have to go because I think, you know, there's still going to be a demand. Yeah, there, there will definitely be demand. There's not enough housing in the country, you know, period, full stop, you know, and that should be appealing for any generation. I, I think the most cynical millennial out there will say, well, you know, given student debt, given the market that I graduated into in 0809, you know, 2010-ish, depending on where you are, people forget millennials are, some of them are close to 40 at this point. Would I even have enough for a down payment? Would would I be able to swing it either way? Am I gonna have to wait until my parents die and inherit, you know, what they have? Or or is all that money that they have gonna go into some sort of like nursing care, you know? So it's um it's there's no clear roadmap for millennials who uh in a lot of ways just haven't really caught a break. I mean, some make their own luck and and you know, if you have some advantages, if you're smart, you time things well, you make good financial decisions. In a lot of cases you can, you know, um you, you can get a, a really nice home and, and you can have a mortgage rate in, in the twos or threes, but not everyone falls neatly into those buckets. And and there are so many people in America who are, you know, lacking credit at all or who don't have good credit because medical debt or student debt or, you know, any number of things. This is not a society that has um much, not that there's not a lot of support, but the safety net is is not as strong as maybe it used to be, and so it, that that's going to affect housing and the ability for millennials who should be in that age where they want to buy houses and and you know have a yard for the kids, just may not happen. They they may be in those built to rent communities for for longer than maybe they had anticipated. It's really interesting to me because you see all of the things that the government has done to make homeownership 
a wealth building machine, right? If they didn't have the mortgage income tax credit, right? I mean, that 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 right there would would change the way that we do this. And so you think going forward, like, this is what we have said, the 30-year mortgage, you know, has been a cornerstone. Now we have people talking about 40 and 50, which I have other people who are like jumping on it saying, that's a terrible idea. I talked to lots of people last week that just were absolutely against that because they feel like it's it's not helpful to the homeowners. On the other hand, it's like, well, I don't know. We're going to have to look at some different things here if we want to continue to have homeownership be a wealth generator when it's right now locked up. You know, of course, we hope that that, that logjam breaks pretty soon, but it, it's hard to see it in the next year or so. So, yeah, and there's surprisingly little talk about one of the easiest ways to unlock the the ability for people to redevelop their properties or to, um, you know, build more infill density in in certain areas and that's zoning and zoning is the major barrier in most communities in America for more housing and there's no national effort that I know of um, that that is anywhere beyond you know rhetorical uh, flourish and um, and and if they can make real progress on that maybe we'll have a better conversation this time in a few years so. oh it's true you know I mean I look at um, you know on the state level you had California that uh, gave, you know, that that said you can build an accessory dwelling unit. Um, that was huge on a state level. There's still ways to get around it. But then I look at the RON, you know, the remote online notarization push, which we are still waiting. I think it's past the House. We're, we're waiting for the Senate to be able to do something nationwide that is remote online notarization. There has been so much pushback. Number one pr- thing standing in the way, California. They, they don't want to see it. They Even though you can look at the stats and go, it is no less risky than in-person uh, notarization. So when you can't even get, from my perspective, you can't even get Ron, and there's not a huge anti-Ron lobby out there that, like there is for you know NIMBYs or whatever. You think, I don't know how zoning is ever going to get solved. Hate to be a downer. Hope there, I hope someone out there contacts me and says, oh no, this is what we're doing. And this is, this is the hope that we see. Let me know, Sarah at hwmedia.com. I'm always looking for people who are pushing this looking at innovations and we know they're out there. So let us know. And, and even the ADUs, you know, if, if you talk to somebody who's ever tried to build one in California or elsewhere, it is way more expensive than you think it would be. And the, the amount of effort that you have to go through and the permitting, depending on where you are, is absolutely insane, completely insane. And um, in a lot of states, still not possible. In New York, they, they've blocked the ability of, of people to, to have an ADU and, and um you know, it's, <laughs> it's a fight that will continue, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fought state by state. And even, you know, little town by little town, I feel like, um, with the zoning. So, well, James, uh, what are we looking at? What are some of the things that the newsroom is looking at reporting over the next uh, couple days or week? So we, we have a really interesting story on, uh, really how brokerages are turning to AI to assess, both the the viability of potential leads, you know, just kind of email addresses and names and in an agent CRM, um, but also looking at how productive that agent is. You know, are, are they maximizing the opportunities they do have to to sell a house or to find the house for their buyers? So we've got a really great feature 
on that. We, we should be publishing that in a few days. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then we're going to be doing some coverage on, uh, this, this relationship, this very interesting, uh, strange relationship that a lot of home builders have with real estate agents. Uh, you may remember that during the pandemic, when there were a hundred to 200 potential buyers for every new home out there, a lot of the national home builders just said, you know what? Sorry, agent. <laughs> You're not going to get commission. You're not going to get anything. We're not going to give you bupkis. And, um, and now, uh, you know, that dynamic is, is obviously quite a bit different given how many concessions a lot of new home builders have to make. And, and, um, they need buyers, you know, they already, they already built these houses, the foundations are done. And, um, you know, so we're, we're kind of looking back at what that relationship with the real estate agents looks like now. So I, I think people will, will be very, very excited for that. And then of course, we're, we're going to be sticking with the, the news du jour every day, of course, which is just mortgage rates and, and how that's affecting brokers, how that's affecting LOs, how that's affecting operation staffs, you know, at mortgage lenders across the country and whether that's a correspondent lender, whether that's wholesale, whether that's traditional retail, call center lenders um, are having a really, really tough time, as you might imagine. Um, so we're looking at that. We're looking at who's buying right now. You know, if, if you're quoted 7.3 right now, why are you pulling the trigger? In a lot of cases, spoiler, it's because you, you have to, you got a new job and your salary is worth it, or you didn't have any other options or, you know, it's, um, you know, your grandfather died and now you have to sell the house because you don't want to maintain it. Um, or it's just a good opportunity, right? You know, home sales are still, um, price-wise doing okay, as we know. Um, so, so we have all that coming and we always have stories coming on title and appraisal and mortgage and, you know, the real estate market and, and all that. So, you know, Never a dull day. Never a dull day. And if people want to get in touch with you or the reporters, they can go through James at hwmedia.com. Uh, me, I, I'm at Sarah at hwmedia.com. We love to hear from listeners, from readers, from our audience. Uh, if you want to tell us good, the bad, the ugly, we are all here for it. And especially if you have some tips or some insight on a story that we've written or you'd like us to write. So James, so appreciate you coming on. As always, we, we have interesting talks about many subjects. I wish we could solve some of these things, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe next week we'll solve some. Maybe next week. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, James. All right. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.